I've totally touched it. Chara pulled it out of my hands in Trenchine. Really? Yeah, he was walking what? by, and I grabbed it, and he, like, yanked it away from me. Well, you didn't deserve to touch it, Ben. We won the cup. We won it. But, 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 Ben, but Chara... It's really nice. It's, it's so touchable. Shiny. It's super touchable. Yeah. I, I want to That's see the cup in person. You're listening to Barely on Topic with VA. When I think of a slap shot, I think of defenseman. It's like the only shot. I, this is what I got. Let's do it. Nick. Here comes the bagel boy himself. Anthony. Joe Sackman Sacco. Jeff. Man, I moved to Canada. And Tim. Probably not. After three weeks of absence and non-recording and barely talking to each other in person or somewhat personally barely in topic we're back for episode 12 i just want to remind people and i've not said this at all one time this season barely in topic is a podcast for boston bruins fans by boston bruins fans and there we go that's kind of our station identification tag right there um Yeah, so we're back after a three-week three absence. Of course, we had the, the wonderful Bruin Lee Wed episode in between, which was a Banks bonus bear. But we're on to actual Bruin stuff. Um, so a lot's happened, but we're not really going to cover, like, the Buffalo home-and-home, home, per se, and all the millions of other games. And we're not even actually going to talk about a Games of the Week kind of thing, because... The only one we really want to talk about is the one against the Florida Panthers, where they actually, did I just say Florida? Florida Panthers, in which they actually won after losing a bunch of games uh, because people were out and whatever. But we will talk about some trade rumors and other things that are unpleasant in Bruins um, fandom and nation and whatever. I don't want to say Bruins nation. That sounds stupid. Anyway, so... I'm just going to kind of sit back and listen to you guys talk about the Gabriel Landeskog rumors. Who wants to go first? Oh, wait a minute. I forgot to do something. I forgot to say that Nick isn't here. It's very sad. It's very sad that Nick's not here because he's actually going to see the Bruinstone in Carolina where they had a bunch of snow. Like, an inch of snow is debilitating down there, so... I'm hoping he got to the game. Today we have Ben subbing in, along with the normal people. Right. Okay, so let's get on to talking about Gabriel Landeskog. Who wants to go first? Okay. Um, so it would have been probably, what, Wednesday or so, I think, when this um, Bruins looking at Landeskog rumors started bouncing around. I think uh, with the Ty Anderson story on EEI, I think, was probably the, big, the first big... Um, uh, splash on the matter? Does that sound yeah. all right, guys? Yeah. Um, uh, Adrian, Adrian Dater, I think, was another big one out of Colorado to report it. Oh. He kicked it off on Bleacher Report. Right, right, Dater. Um, basically, that of course, the, the Avs are a, are, a, are a tire fire inside of a dumpster that's also on fire. Um, so... They're talking about possibly going full, uh, full, full, blowing the whole thing up and moving um, one or both of Landeskog and uh, Matt Duchesne. So, um, words now is going out that there's been some discussions between the Bruins and uh, and uh, Joe Sakic about Landeskog. Um, I'd rather have Duchesne, but okay. Yeah, well, yeah. So... And I guess the initial conversations were, you know, it's like, hey, we're interested, and uh, what Avs want is a uh, young defenseman in return. And so their first rebuttal reply back was, well, can we, you know, have one of McAvoy or Carlo, particularly Carlo, being that he's from Colorado? Fuck no. Uh, well, fortunately, that appears to be also, according to Elliot Friedman, also the Bruins' brass's position, and rightfully mm. so because. Carlo and McAvoy are both right young, are both young right shot defensemen. You know, when they're twenty and eighteen respectively, and um, they're worth their weight in literally their weight in gold. I know that Don Sweeney talks to me on a daily basis, and I told him no. I would stop watching the team. Okay, that's not true, but 
In my mind, it is. Go on. So we know the Bruins have been anti-against this. And um, what was it? Apparently, Dater, uh, Adrian Dater and Ty Anderson talked amongst themselves. And Dater was pushing maybe a, a package that would have looked like um, Zaboral, DeBrusque, Joe Morrow, and our 2017 first. I believe Dater <laughs> mentioned uh, that uh, Donnie uh, counter-offered with Zaboral. And yeah. Colorado rejected that. Because uh, they felt they weren't that Zaboral wasn't proven enough. Uh, Lauzon might have been mentioned as well, but I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. And but yeah, that was the sort of li- that list package is one one that Ty Anderson was kicking around. Uh. Well, isn't Zaboral the one who's getting into all sorts of trouble, being suspended for games and doing some shitty things? I or think am I so. thinking about somebody else? No, I, I mean, think he was suspended earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. Zaboral has a history of being a bit on the more on the edge than he ought to be. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with the idea of getting rid of him <laughs> in in a sense because it protects Carlo and McAvoy, but I know that... Well, that well, but remember, they're not competing for the same role long-term, though. Zaboral is a lefty, as is Lazan, so... But. I, don't, I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just pointing out that that particular concern's not... Anyway. <laughs> Let's not have that discussion. So... Um, so I guess the question is, does that seem reasonable? I don't hate that package. It's a little high, partly because I don't, I'm not so sure Landeskog is really an answer to anything. I don't think Landeskog is an answer to anything, but I love the idea of getting rid of Morrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I nope. do think Landeskog is the answer to one thing, and that's who the Bruins should not trade for, because it doesn't change our team at all. No, I, I don't really want Landeskog, but um, I'm kind of entertained by this conversation now a lot more than I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing about Landeskog is he's you know he's 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 absolute shit this year. Like like he's not good, and his um scoring and shot generation have been year over year in free fall since after his first two years in the league. So he hasn't guess- been as productive as Ryan Spooner. Oh yeah, I did hear something like that this this week. And. Now, one point about that, though, is his two best seasons in terms of shot generation and so forth, his first two seasons in the league, um, were the two years he was coached by uh, a certain Bruins assistant. Um, Joe Sackman Sacco. Sackman Fever. Can that be Anthony's new tagline on the, uh, at the intro? <laughs> Please. <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> it takes a lot of work to do that. Do you know that? I no. <laughs> no, Probably. you guys take me for granted. You just think I just can do this stuff like I may wave a magic wand or something. I just think which you're that means... good at this. Yeah, see, yeah. you should take it as a compliment. We think you're that good. That just don't shatter the illusion. <laughs> God damn it! You know that if you compliment me and tell me how awesome I am, that I can make things happen. I'm like Tinkerbell. You just have to believe. Why the hell is coming up with the extra R's at the end of things? I don't want to be from Massachusetts. Okay. (laughs) But you've been drinking, so... I know. I'm out of alcohol. I really need to get some more. So you guys should really talk some more. We need to get someone with pack in their name so we can have the pack and sack connection. I don't know how to respond to that. Uh, There is is no response to that. I so like Sackman Fever. I like singing that song, even though it's all I think of is a walking scrotum. Anyway, <laughs> let's go back. Okay, so now the question is, do we even need to tra- trade for anyone, whether it's Landeskog or not? We've never had our entire forward group in the same game this entire season. Not once. I don't think we need to trade for him, but I'm all for whipping everybody. I don't really think that'll improve their shooting percentages. No, but... But it will put some pain into their their being and make them perform better. I'm pretty but sure. But I mean, have it. we tried it though? Like, <laughs> is it one of those things that maybe it will? Like, I'm it not doesn't seem like one it will. For advocating human rights abuses as a coaching technique because that's you know caricature of torts ish. But uh, <laughs> it's working. It's it's oh clearly God. working They're, in Columbus. With torts, it's they working. They don't lose. Well, lost some games now. Bob has all the wins on the year. Somebody call Bobby Knight. Get him up. Get him to throw some chairs across the ice. Yes. Oh my God. Milk crates. 
Yeah, but you're going to damage the ice when you do that. You can't do that. Um, Never works. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to abandon that, and we're going to move on to the idea that um, maybe, maybe that kind of treatment is bad. But I have so to go we- back. I have to go back to Columbus because they didn't fire off the cannon, and I need to see the cannon go off. Do we want an argument for making a trade for offense? No, I think there is we no should. And so my, it, yeah, my, my argument is that uh, we need depth on offense. It's clear that if we have an injury or two, we don't have the guns to, to get, keep the scoring up when we need it. So you know, would Landeskog help in that case somewhat? I don't think he's spent. I think there's still plenty of talent there. Maybe he needs a change of scenery. Uh, is but, he exactly the guy we should go for? I don't know. But the idea of going for an, a, a winger, especially a right winger, uh, I think has some merit. How old is Duchesne? 26, I believe. Landeskog is a left. And, and, and Landeskog's only like, what, 24? Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so w- remind me again. Um, where would we put Landeskog? See, there's, okay, let's, let's assuming we're talking about Landeskog because yeah, so there's I, the problem. He's a left wing, and um, now that Vitrano's back, once Bileski's back as well, the left side isn't our weak area. The right, where we continue to have oh Jamie Hayes playing, I would argue is our weaker side. Oh, Jamie! Anthony Hayes. wants to say something. <laughs> I was yes, just Anthony. letting Jeff finish. Um, Vitrano's actually played the last like two or three games on the right side. Too, because that second line has been Spooner, Krejci, Vitrano when Moore's not in Spooner's spot, like on Thursday's opening lineup, which was which was weird. I didn't like that, but that's a whole other story. They're, I don't really game. understand what their thinking is in terms of how they're structuring the wingers on the bottom three lines in ge- in general. It's, and it's some very strange decisions in there. And that's why I think a trade for Landeskog is a good thing, is because he's going to play on the left side he's going to be your second line left winger it adds some stability to it you can put vetrano as your three left three um left winger or keep him on the right side with krejci and then when blesty comes back he can be your three left c there's no there's no depth at the left there's no depth really on any of our wings you bring in landis you have depth that's currently on ir it comes back now you can roll three lines and they'll be consistent three lines well, no, I mean, that still leaves the problem of the uh, 3C and 3 right wing, which is just a, a sloppy mess with the choices they're making. Although I, you're obviously implying that Spooner goes back to 3C in this scenario. Um, either he doesn't go back to, th- either he goes back to 3C or he stays on the left side and Vitrano stays on the right. Oh, good. Which in Vitrano's case, he's looked pretty good on the right side. Hmm. I, I, I just don't think that trading for anyone right now is going to do anything. I think we don't, we've not had everyone healthy um, in terms of forwards at all at any point during the year. And the second thing is, I don't think there's any trade for one person on the wing that's really going to change us from being a middling team this year. And why I don't like making trades for make the sake of making trades and... I just don't see anything changing us from being a middle-of-the-road team this year. I have a question for you. Does your opinion on that change when it comes to the trade deadline as opposed to right now, which is what the trade deadline is when? February 1st or I mean, it would kind of depend on where we are at the trade deadline. Mm. I I suppose it could be swayed if, if we start to pick it up, the scoring picks up and everything like that, and then we look like a team that, hey, we can do some damage in the playoffs, and we think that this player is going to help, okay. But well, I just don't see that happening. So what- interesting there is even if the team's looking good at that point, I'm be reticent. Remember, last year going into the trade deadline, this team didn't look all that bad and looked pretty good immediately after, too. It was some weeks after the trade deadline where the bottom dropped out. Um, I would think that the smarter choice in this case, regardless of what the team looks like at the trade deadline, is to stand pat. Just because last year, you know, last year Sweeney went out buying, and that didn't um, go work out so well, apart from getting Lyles, who's been, you know, quite good for us. Yeah. Well, I think Stempniak looked good in certain situations, but it obviously didn't get us over the hump. Yeah. I'm trying not to give up on this team. I've given up on this team. I'm trying really hard to get back to this team. You know, we have a... Actually, a pretty probably our best month on the schedule is uh, starting now. 
we have no more back-to-backs this month, which is great news. Um, now, we do play literally every other day for the next three weeks. But... Is it all on the road? <laughs> if it was all on the road, that'd be awesome. If we're all on the road, so, so I would it's, be uh, so blinded. Road, road, home, home, road, home, road, home, home. Then four days off, road. Takes us to the 31st. On the road again? Can't wait to get back on the road again? Is it worth trading... Any of our non-roster players, you know, like a Zaboral, you know, like a like a DeBrusque, to try and acquire talent. Well, see, the trick there is, I think a lot of a lot of our prospects are um, perceived as lower value than I think they, a lot of them are, even though we have a very good system right now. Um, and it's not so much. I mean, remember, that's not for the debates. Like, should we trade this and this and this prospect? It's that's always about who should we go trade for is the first question. Um, there is the matter of not all of these guys, even if they all make the show, are are likely to have a place on the Bruins team. Um, True. You do a whole bunch, you draft a whole shitload of players, and yes, some of them are going to, some of them are going to bust, some of them are going to succeed with with your team, and others are going to be the the, the currency used to buy other parts. To buy other parts. And a good thing to point out is that people that we could trade for could just totally not fit on this team. That's mm-hmm. one of my concerns about Landis Guy because um, here's the thing: is if he doesn't work or if he doesn't bounce back, he has four more years at over five million on uh, on him. Oh yeah. fuck no! That should be everybody's answer. Fuck no! <laughs> <laughs> I want you to yeah. all repeat it. Well, not you, Ben, but I want everybody else to repeat it. Fuck no! Not for four, for five. No, come on. More than that. Over, it's five and a half, actually, yeah, so... Uh, no, because we're saddled with him for four more years if it's not working. And granted, right. at some point, it could work, but no, 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 why? See, you know, the thing is, is that I'm so bad at contract stuff. I just really am. I didn't even look at any of that, and I'm just like, I, uh, no, no, that's the answer. So, so Jeff, you had mentioned conversation uh, outside of here, uh, possibility maybe Thomas Tatar. Yep. So take on that? last night during the game, uh, Mandy brought up, you know, a list of teams that could potentially be selling. Um, one of those is Detroit. Detroit is um, astonishingly bad by Detroit standards um, and probably is about the point where they need to start considering a rebuild. Right. Um, they don't have a lot of players that are likely to sell. Keep in mind, of course, they are in division. So all this comes with that caveat. But um, bring up their uh, cap-friendly page quickly. Tatar is one of the more interesting ones. He's uh, at RFA at the end of the season, currently making um, uh, $2.75 million. He's uh, 26, plays both wings, and uh, had 21 goals last season and 21 the year before, and 29 the year before. Specifically, he's, by the way, he's mostly a left wing. He's a left shot, but he's played both wings. So that's uh, like Louis in that regard. Um, he's having a rough season. He's only at 18 points in, uh, in, uh, in 40 games compared to last year's 45 and 81, and the year before is 56 and 82. But the Wings, from what I understand, have sort of bounced them around a bit and haven't used them to the best of advantage. They have uh, not a lot of cap space next year. He's probably going to cost them a solid four to resign, most likely. So I feel like he might be someone that they could be persuaded to part ways with without too much pressure, without not any, and not not even with putting too too much into the bargain. So. What do you guys think? Potential for a, a good third line winger, which is kind of what we need. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I would hope that Sweeney's making calls and just you know putting feelers out there, see if Holland will be even kind of interested in biting. And you know, here's the thing: is they can. Yes, he's 26. Yes, he's still an RFA. I think Detroit can spare him though, because Detroit actually has a lot of wing prospects that are you know clogged up. That's sort of how their pipeline ends up working, right? It gets all bunged up with people that are you know on the cusp, but there's no nowhere on the on the. Um, the big roster for them. So that could work out well for everyone involved, I think. There's another person that Detroit has that I would ask about, and that's Nyquist. I like Nyquist a lot. Okay, Nyquist's got two more years after this season at 475 and is 27. Plays all three forward positions, apparently. <laughs> His production's almost identical to uh, Tatar's this year and previous years, just with fewer goals. And he's been on a downward track longer than Tatar has. So I'm not sure. sure. Maybe. So are the Canucks buyers or sellers? Ooh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it is Jim Benning. So, like, are they in a position where they're going to delude themselves into thinking they're going to make the playoffs and therefore should load up, or will they trend downward over the next month or two and finally have that realization that they need to sell? I, I think um, I think that Billy Jaffe said on the hockey show yesterday that they weren't buyers or nor sellers. They're just going to stand pat. And since he has a little bit more of uh, an ear to the league than any of us do, I'm going to have to take that as my source. 
Well, I don't know if Jaffe is much of an insider, and I don't think I've seen any of the true insiders, you know, Bobby Mack or um, or, 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 or Friedman uh, say really anything to the effect yet. And there would be some, you know, some expectation that they would because they are both Canadian media. So, so basically nothing's happening there. Is what you're saying. No one, I think we just simply don't know. But yeah, they're a funny one. I don't I think they'd be sellers just because they don't have a lot of saleable parts left anymore. Like Alex Burroughs and fuck no. Unless they were to go to full rebuild and just, you know, blow everything up. But I don't. Well, you could pick up Tanev to help uh, mitigate mistakes on defense. I mean, I would love that. I really would. I mean, that's that's no secret to listeners. But uh... yeah, get minimize mistakes, get some extra depth going into the playoffs as well. Like, you, guys are going to get hurt. So uh, the more defensive depth you add, especially if it's it's quality defensive depth I, I see that as a you know scoring may be a, a bigger need but uh that's an area where we could choose to be a strength yeah well, who are you gonna give up for that that's the question uh that's where <laughs> we'd probably be pretty pricey probably but we can't give up roster players because we're looking for depth and giving up roster players doesn't fit that except so you're, you're looking, you're looking at prospects someone as a salary dump right like if you put it in if you send you know hayes or mcquade back the other way in, in a tan of trade because you need to create space both now and, fo- and going forward there right but does but does vancouver accept that does do they did, would vancouver want mcquade would they want morrow benny well, might <laughs> i remember we're talking about it as a salary dump at that point and if they're selling tanev they're burning it down at that point they just need bodies in the future years right i don't know all right so basically what i want to know right now should we actually trade for somebody i mean i don't want to get into specifics should we trade for somebody for and you can you can actually actually you can say if you want to trade for a board or a defenseman i don't care but don't go in too specifically should we trade for somebody uh we'll start with jeff we'll go to ben we'll go to tim and then hopefully anthony will be back keep looking but don't do anything until we got we have bleski back for a few games first all right ben the mission statement from the ownership is make the playoffs Mm -hmm. and as it stands, uh, we can make the playoffs, and acquiring a player uh, would help us make the playoffs and would also give us the depth we need once we're there. Uh, there's a depth issue that, that if we're serious about the playoffs, a depth issue has to be met. Uh, it could be either on the forward or on defense. We have depth needs in both. So I can see the need for uh, acquiring a, a player. Okay, so Jeff's no or keep looking. Uh, ben is yes. Tim. I think the more important part mine was wait until Bleski's back and see where we look like with everyone. That's that was more my point. Wait and see. Got it. Tim. <laughs> uh if the right player comes along, sure. I mean if there if someone like you weren't expecting comes available and you think it's gonna help, sure. Otherwise just stick with what you have and push on through. Gut says stay put. Alright, so now we're on to another subject because well, we talked about that for a long time. Um, what I really wanted to talk about was fighting. It was something that came up a little bit more um, at the beginning of our break than maybe so so much more recently. But basically, I want to examine what the league thinks about fighting, what kind of like a historical perspective, and what we think about fighting, if that makes any sense. So Ben, in the pre- uh, show had given us a little bit more of a perspective historically about fighting. So I don't know if you feel like going through that a little bit more. Uh, sure. Uh, if you look at uh, changes the league has made over the past 30 to 40 years, uh, you're looking at uh, rules-wise regarding fighting, uh, the penalty for leaving the bench. So if, uh, if there's a line brawl going on, or any case where the player leaves the bench, uh, it's an automatic suspension. Uh, and that's uh, recent, uh, I think since the 80s, uh, there's been the implementation of the instigator penalty. So two minutes for starting a fight. And then if, if it happens in the last five minutes of a game, it's an automatic one game suspension. And then the other one specifically about fighting would be recently the crackdown on staged fighting, like a fight, like right after a face off or right at the start of a game. Uh, and also the whole uh, helmet exchange where, you know, the players make sure they take off their helmets first before fighting, uh, making sure that the stage fighting has been eliminated. So that's been mostly it with respect to uh, rules changes uh, specifically about fighting. Uh, another one that wasn't about fighting but has a, a, a not very quantifiable effect on fighting is the second uh, referee which is in the, the 2000s when they implemented that. And in that case, uh, the theory is that if, if you have a second official on the ice 
then they can make the calls on the behind the play, you know, stick infractions, like the, the behind the play slashes, the behind the play elbows and spears, uh, stuff that can lead to fighting if they're not called. And there's that that usual cry for uh, let the players police the game. Well, but if you put a second cop on the ice with a second ref, then that policing is happening and the, the reasons for players getting angry and, and wanting to be enforcing uh, infractions uh, is, is going away. So that's most, it's hard to quantify that because uh, it's hard to say what isn't being called because the referee is on the ice. Cause there's no, there's no data for that. Uh, but if you're looking at that, at the, the statistics, the, there is a trend you know, away from fighting. Uh, the interesting part about the statistics, though, uh, if you look at you know dropyourgloves.com and quanthockey.com, they have a lot of good data on fighting majors per game uh, historically throughout the league. And uh, if you look at the 1960s, you're looking at about you know 0.25 fighting majors per game. But if you look at the fighting majors today, it's about 0.3, 0.35. So we're getting back to where the fighting levels were in the 60s. But nobody was saying that the 60s were a bad era for fighting or enforcement or any. I mean, there's a lot of nostalgia for for that era. Um, And then if you look at the trend uh, of fighting from the 60s and onward, in the 1970s, you're looking at 0.4 to 0.5 fights per game. In the 1980s, it skyrockets up to 0.8 to 1.3 per game. Uh, 90s, right back down to about 0.9. So for this era of 1978 through 1998, you're looking at... 0.75 0.75 to 0.9 fights per game, which is three times as much as what it is today. Yeah, the and high... also three times, and also three times what it was in the 1960s. Uh, the, and there are two major points in time uh, that you can look at statistically for this. One is the expansion era of the 70s, where you had new teams coming in and not a lot of talent to fill it. Because if you look at the uh, demographics of the league, almost entirely Canadian up until about 1970, looking at like 90, 95% Canadian players. But then once the 70s started happening, you started seeing more American players. And then especially with 1980, uh, after Lake Placid, the USA hockey really grew a ton. Uh, so right about the, the mid-70s, you have uh, more teams coming in, like you know Philly and Pittsburgh, and you didn't have the talent level to fill it because you're still drawing from the same Canadian talent you were before. And that talent isn't going to be as skilled. So you're going to get more of the, the fighters, more of the enforcers, more of the pluggers. And that leads to uh, an increase in fighting per game. Also, it, it leads to an increase in scoring, where the higher the skill, weirdly, conversely, uh, the lower the scoring is going to be. And the, the lower the talent in the league, the more scoring you're going to see. Then you look at the, the other major uh, uh, period in time would be uh, the early 90s, where you, you also had expansion. And so the thinking would be, all right, well, if they're adding even more teams, and then you have even less talent to fill that. So wouldn't fighting go up? Wouldn't scoring continue to, to increase? The exact opposite happened because there was a major talent influx. And that talent influx came from the fall of the Soviet Union, the rise of U.S. hockey, and also the influx of other European players uh, from Sweden and from Finland. So all of a sudden, now in the 90s, you're bringing in Russians, bringing in Czechs, Slovaks. Finns, Swedes, and then this rise of American hockey. So this new expansion was met by a massive wave of talent. So you look at 1998, which is at 0.9 fights per game. Not too long after that, you're getting right back down to 0.5 and then training back down to 0.3 where we are now. So yes, the league has implemented some rules to, to reduce fighting, but to a large extent, it hasn't had to because of the way the league has trended anyway. You know, with higher talent coming into the league. It's, it's a more talented league now than it was in the 70s. So uh, with the emphasis then on being able to play hockey, much less, less of an emphasis emphasis on fighting. Right, right. Yeah, it looks like it, it got to 1.3 in the, I said originally the 88-89 season. It looks like 87-88 season um, yeah. was when it peaked. Um, and then, you know, as you said, we're about 0.35 at this point. Um, I guess my question is, is it something that's still really needed in the game? Well, my take on that uh, is that I still think it serves as a good safety valve or pressure valve uh, for, you know, it's an intense sport. It's a very physical sport. So you're going to get a lot of tempers flaring. And so when it's a, a pressure valve for that, I think it serves a purpose. Like you see that in other sports as well. 
uh, I mean, you look at, at football, like they train in Greco-Roman wrestling and jujitsu for the offensive and defensive linemen. So how can you say that they're not fighting? Or you look at baseball with, I mean, nobody turned or changed the channel when a bean brawl is happening and somehow like that, that's not fighting. So the other sports still have those kinds of issues. It's just how you choose to handle it. That's that, that really is the, the crux of it. Well, I would argue with regards to American football, which is what I think we're both talking about. Um, yes. That basically the refs call so many penalties. So it's almost impossible for someone to not feel like, you know, if there was some infraction against them that it weren't seen. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. there's calls for holding. Uh, I mean, there's holding on every play, but, you know, most people are really good at hiding it. But, you know, there's like the PI and the whatever and like, you know, late hits, uh, roughing the passer, roughing the kicker, you know, whatever. All that stuff is called. So there's no need for actual fighting. You know well, they I mean? have a lot of referees on the field, so which contributes yes. to the calling that stuff. Another thing that, that reduces fighting in American football is full cage helmets. Right, right. If you can't punch the guy in the schnoz, then you're not going to punch the guy. No, you're going to break your hand doing something like that, Right, frankly. Which is why you don't see as much fighting in, in college hockey. Sure, you, get, you do get ejected if there is a fight, but they're wearing full cage helmets, so it's not like you're going to do much. Right, right. No, I absolutely agree with you on the pressure valve um, aspect Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, for me, it's kind of like it's not like I want to it's not that I tune into a game because I want to see a fight. But certainly there are things that refs don't catch for whatever reason or people take right. offense to how they were hit or something. Um, and I understand that, you know, yeah, so- I, I don't like fights when I don't like retaliatory fights on big hits. I think that's unnecessary. Uh, I don't like the staged fighting. I don't like the, the frontier justice type fighting. But right. If, if if tempers flare, like I don't see a problem with a a, a Bergeron versus Malkin fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, maybe maybe a a more a stricter interpretation of the instigator rule then may um uh, narrow out narrow out some of those those other scenarios most of those other scenarios right. Maybe the instigator yeah. maybe. seems to be very unevenly enforced and used. All right, so Anthony has a funny story to share, and then we'll we'll move on with this conversation. So just about football and fighting in full cage helmets, uh, one Thanksgiving, we were at my mother's house, and her, my stepfather's parents were over as well. We were watching the Packers-Lions game, and tempers flared, and just jokingly, I was like, yeah, just punch him in the face. You know, full cage helmet, you can't do that. And my grandmother-in-law got really excited, yeah, punch him, punch him in the face! <laughs> I was like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do that. It's yeah, I, I got to tell you, actually, when I'm watching football, I'm just like, please don't do anything. Nobody do anything. Just play the fucking game. You know, that's it. Uh, but sometimes when it comes to hockey, I'm just like, you know, like that hit was shitty. Somebody really needs to go like beat the shit out of that guy for a little bit. I, I just can't help it. I'm <laughs> just like that. Um, I'd be okay. fine if those fights happened. But they don't seem to. A lot of times it'll be, you know, a skilled player gets in late or up high on another skilled player, which then leads to, you know, a toiling third pairing defenseman fighting a fourth liner. Yeah, it's like, that's that's you not do retribution. Still, you do still sometimes see that. Um, the first of the two Louis concussion hits, Adam McQuaid got right on the job and fought and fought the perpetrator. If it happens right then and there, sure. But I mean, there's I more often or not, I see that the play happen. The play gets blown dead because the refs try to prevent something from happening. And then a shift or two later, it lines up and then two people fight. And they're like, oh, it's because of this hit. No, it's not because they wanted to fight. And I don't, it's, it's disruptive. Well, I mean, probably the ugliest thing that we've ever seen was the Thornton on Orpic <laughs> calamity that happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that was on the short list of things we don't talk about on the show. Well... <laughs> it, kind of, it, it, it is because we all really disagree about it in some respect or another and you know i think maybe sometimes we don't want to portray uh former ruins in negative lights and, and whatnot but uh i have gone on record many times saying that orpic is a shitbag no um, arguments here no <laughs> and he deserves something maybe not that but if he would have fucking thrown down the gloves and just fought like a fucking man then maybe that wouldn't have happened that's my official stance on it, you know? Um, I think that my personal thought is that Thornton became 
so enraged as to not understand at all what he was doing. And I don't think it should ever get to that. I'm not applauding him for doing that whole thing. I'm saying that it should never get to that, ever. You know, fight or don't fight. But you know what? If you don't fight, then guess what? You, I'm not, and I'm not saying this is right, but you might expect a cheap shot because you just, you, you weren't kind of like uh, balancing out the whole sheet there on, on what was going on. Yin Yang. There, there's another kind of fighting that I'm not keen on, which is the fight just to get your team going. Like the, the whole, I'm going to fight and that's going to you know be a morale boost for the team and that's going to lead to scoring. Like that's the kind of fighting I don't think should be in the league, but that's fighting purely for fighting's sake. I don't believe it does anything really either. I actually disagree, um, especially on Thursday after Chara's fight with Moron. Um, um, how'd that game end up? Yeah, I, I understand that they <laughs> lost and everything. Maybe that's just because my vantage point was and so in fact, awesome. In fact, Maroon went on to get a you know a, a hat trick. No, but after you know the team was really bad after the first few minutes of the game. Chara clearly frustrated with how the team was playing. Did something changed the complexion of the Bruins team as a whole. Sure, they made mistakes and it ended up costing them the game. But it, had he not stepped in and done and provided some sort of leadership and intensity, which in his case turned out to be a fight, how bad could that game have gotten? Incidentally, this just came to me. Imagine if he'd fought Luch. Pretty sure the shockwave from the fight just would have knocked down the garden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think Emily was hoping for that. <laughs> Is. Yeah, although the, the Lucic fights that rocked the gar- garden were the ones that were precipitated by Kamasarik. Well, you see, after the first one, I think Kamasarik didn't have enough functioning brain cells left to know that that was a bad idea. Just kept going well, happened back. at least twice. <laughs> I think all three were uh, were were were, were, Kamas- were, were um, because Kamasarik went in there wanting to go because he's not bright. So. Well, he would either low bridge Luch or otherwise cheap shot Luch, and yeah, eventually, yeah, Luch would have enough. I I do have to just like kind of fanboy. Because I, I do like fighting in hockey. I think it's entertaining. Um, just the punch Char threw on Maroon, the first one that really landed, it was devastating. And it, I was so happy. Because <laughs> Maroon was like, oh, oh shit, I'm fighting Chara. I shouldn't do this. And instantly turtled. It's like the uh, the classic, that was, what was it, um, uh, uh, Brandon Smith? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> oh no, what have I done? <laughs> Because like, it was a, it was most. I had a really good vantage point. Um, it was mostly just a wrestling match, and he finally gets one arm free, and it was just bam, side to the head. Oh fuck! I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, those, that's the funny thing with fights with Char. They're entertaining in that. Oh, please don't mutilate him. Way it's just the, <laughs> you, you're worried about what's going to happen. Did you see that tweet that um, TJ Bean had put out, and then Pete Blackburn retweeted oh. this week about? Parents. Oh, the, the parents uh, said yeah. that Chara that could yeah. kill people if he wanted to, but he doesn't. Yeah, pretty much. Because he's a beast. Yeah. Sorry, I feel like I just killed the buzz. No. Yeah, Not I fun. did. Just admit it. God damn it. No, I think we just naturally finished that as you showed up. All right. So what else would we like to discuss about fighting? I guess, where, where did this come from? I originally thought about it. I'm like, what was it? It was that very chippy home and home with Buffalo that was going on where it was just kind of like a lot of people really needed to get some stuff off their chests during those games. And then, well, it goes back to the game before that, though. It was Columbus. Like, that's when like you started seeing this debate about fighting being allowed or not allowed. It was after the Columbus game. Oh, yeah. I kind of forgot about the Columbus game. Yeah, because the linesman had broken again, up a fight. Yeah. And then it happened again in the Buffalo games with the uh, yeah, my with, with the Evander Kane, uh, Kevin Miller, uh, oh, not oh yeah, yeah, Evander Kane, so big and tough. It's like big... I remember Kevin Miller. It's like one of his first NHL games. He beat the fuck out of um uh, Mike Brown. Pretty sure he would have eaten um uh, Evander Kane's heart had that fight been allowed to go forward. I call yeah. Mike Brown the pugilist because he had that hipster mustache with the waxy thing, and I we always pictured him fighting like <laughs> in a certain Drunk, way. Drunken Irish boxing. Yeah, I mean, he used to play for the Oilers, so the first time I saw him was at an Oilers game, my very first NHL game. So we called him the pugilist from that point on because what did he do in that game? He fought someone. I mean, it just it, it just worked out. But I'll get to you in one minute, and then don't worry, I see you. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, um, but we've also seen Kevin Miller like take on two guys in a game too. He took on what was it, Travis Moen, and I don't remember the other guy, but he beat them both to crap. And then I think he hurt his shoulder doing it or something. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, to say that Kevin Miller is going to back down from a fight is hilarious to me. Well, it was it's Joe Fatale whose game, whose career he's he ended in a fight last year against the mm. against Coyotes too. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. Kevin Miller is a dangerous man to fight. He's a crazy person. <laughs> we used to say that about McQuaid, but I think it really applies more to Kevlar. Well, you know, uh, Kevin used to do like the MMA stuff, but he said he's not doing it anymore or something like that. He's not really into that anymore, and it's like. Dude, you're fucking scary. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, takes oh. a special kind of crazy to do MMA. I worked for an arena football team, and one of the players did MMA um, in the off season, and he was crazy, like legitimately crazy. He would like headbutt the wall before every game. Oh yeah. So yeah. I don't, don't doubt it. Don't mess. Don't mess. Um, Anthony, you had something to say. So speaking of mustaches and pugilists, um, <laughs> my, one of my favorite things that ever happened was a fight between Sean Thornton and George Peros because of that <laughs> amazing bow. mustache on George Peros. I was say, did, did they bow to each other before doing it? They're like the classical, um, uh, you know, uh, philosophical fighters there. <laughs> <laughs> and at one point, I was just like, grab him by his mustache! <laughs> <laughs> and then he did! <laughs> And it was spectacular. So, um, admittedly, I was a little bit out of um, loop there when you were talking about fighting for a little bit. What else do we have to cover on this? I think we should, yes, no, want to answer it. Should fighting stay in the game? I think there's a place for it. Um, but I don't I don't like the stage fighting. I don't like fighting for fighting's sake. I really think that it should be more of a, hey, you did something to this guy. I'm standing up for this guy. Fuck you. I'm going to fight you. That's that's my official stance on it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So 30 words or less. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's on its way out on its own. Eventually, the league has to pull the trigger. But I don't know if they should. But, but I don't know if that's the way it should be. Phase it out on its own. People are less inclined to do it. So they'll not I'm do it. I'm just saying at some point, the league's just going to have to bring going to have to bring the boom down on it. Eventually, instead of just letting it die organically, because it'll take you'll have like stray fights three, four years from now, like you know, one or two every ten games. At that point, they'll just say, you know what, kill it. I'll be a little bit sad. I'll be honest, because it'll be kind of like ice capades with sticks and spreadsheets, which is not exactly what I'm in for. I mean, I, I'm not looking for a fight, but you know, it's like so. I think it's a slippery slope. It's like after a while, they're gonna be like, "Well, you can't really hit anybody anymore, and you can't do this." And it's like, not that that stuff is good for people. It's really not. Well, that but... raises a good a good point too. I think, and people get this conflated. Fighting and concussions are not actually the same debate, or should no, it be? No, they're not. They're not. Yet they constantly are conflated, and it's not the same issue. Every time you get hit, you are you're moving your brain in a way that's bad. Every time Every you time... get in a fight, you've chosen to cheat to put yourself in a chance to get a concussion. It's why it's different from the real issue at hand, because those people are making a conscious choice. That's my view on it anyway. Yeah, well, you can make a, a conscious choice to do that, but I'm just telling you, every time you get hit, there's no helmet that is going to protect you from your brain moving within your skull. It's just not going to happen. Any contact sport is bad for your brain. However, the best that you can do is to educate people on that every little hit really honestly that's just how it is but it's like but every contact sport is really bad for you in that respect i know that i understand that yet i still watch football and i love it and i hope that everybody who's on the field understands the risk that they're taking and i wish they would really get paid for what they need to be paid for and the same thing with hockey i really hope that people get compensated the way that they should be because every time they get on the ice and get hit by somebody, that that motion is doing something that isn't good for your brain. You know what I mean? I understand I, that. I think it's that reason right there why when players leave teams for more money and things like that, I try not to be too um, upset about it just because they're trying to maximize their most earning potential while they can because there's no guarantee that they have a career after the fact. So I think that fans getting on players for doing something they'd probably do themselves is kind of silly. That's yeah, very if true. you had a coworker who left their job to take a similar job for 
30% more money, you'd have a going away party for them. You'd be super happy for them. Yeah. I, I, I want players to be compensated very well for what they do. But the minute they leave my team, I'm dead. Uh, they're dead to me. <laughs> it's just so, how so, it is. So, so my, my short take on fighting, uh, yes. simply that I think the, the level of fighting is about where the league wants it to be right now. I don't think it either needs to or should do anything to to reduce it. I think it's it's naturally progressing uh, away from it just because of the, the the growth of the game and the overall talent level that's in the league right now. I don't think the league needs to do anything to change the level of fighting anymore. That depending on how the concussion lawsuit goes, again, even though they're not really the same issue, if the if if or probably when the league loses that 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 lawsuit, fighting will be banned almost right away afterwards. Yeah, maybe yeah. I can see that. That would be the big impetus for for further change, I guess. Exactly. It, yeah. But you know, they're not going to change the other aspects of the game, which are actually dangerous. Well, see, if if fighting, if they if they did do that and fighting is taken away, does that really? I mean, I know we don't see it as much anymore in today's game, but does that all but kill the enforcer role completely? Um, the enforcer role is all but dead already. Yeah, and I know it's pretty close to that right now. It's just that that's like kind of what would be like the final nail in the coffin right there. I mean, no fighting. Some of those well, players wouldn't have a job. I mean, let's look at somebody like that we know is an actual known enforcer. I'm going to go back to Sean Thornton. I'm sorry. Hey, do you expect him to have a contract beyond the the one that he has? No. He's old. Yeah. He's, he's he, done he, anyway. He's old and he's done anyway. And it's just kind of like I think they kept him on as like a mascot. <laughs> In a way, because he's a likable guy. No, I didn't coin that myself. I remember someone else, when the uh, Florida first signed him, referring to him as basically that's what he was going to be for them. I don't remember who wrote that, but it was like, yeah, that makes sense. They were a team that kind of needed... Uh... I, I know that the, the anti-fighting camp, the anti-enforcer camp, uh, is traditionally uh, dismissive of veteran leadership and that kind of influence. But I think Thornton does bring that to uh, the Florida team where the, he's able to bring young players along. He's able to uh, be a stabilizing influence on them, be, be a mentor, be somebody they can go to like the, the psychological and mentorship aspect of, of hockey and sports in general is, is significant. And I do think Thornton does bring a lot of that. He's a, he's a multiple cup veteran. He's a longtime veteran in the league. He knows how to handle pressure. He knows how to handle uh day-to-day life as an NHL player, which people don't realize can actually be very difficult. So, uh, uh, being able to handle the ups and downs, like the, the, you know, don't get too high after a win. Don't get too low after a loss. You know, what do you do, uh, to get out of a slump? What do you do when you're, when you're on a, a streak? Like he can help with that. Uh, so regardless of his, his role as an enforcer, he still provides a, a solid veteran presence. Nope. Oh, I'm sorry. I just want to get something in really briefly. And then you, Jeff, I mean, honestly, um, I love Sean Thornton. I really do. I, you know, my introduction to the Bruins was about as much about Sean Thornton as it was about other players. I love him that he speaks his mind and that, you know, I have no doubt that what he says to the public is the same kind of thing that he says to the people in the room. He just seems like he just says what he actually believes. So all of the stuff that you just said, I think he definitely has that value. Um, You know, just beyond... Beyond fighting, he's got that that leadership thing. He may not wear the A or the C. He definitely has that. Um, and he's a guy who never expected to ever be in the NHL. I mean, he tried really hard, but he never really expected that that would happen. And it did happen for him. So I think he never, ever takes that for granted. Um, but, you know, we also know that he's like, he's got to be 39 years old, right? He's 39, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is his, his last thing. And good for him that he's lasted this long. Jeff. So you sort of your one of your last points there actually is a really nice segue to what I was gonna say. Um someone like Thornton, these fringe players, they have to work so much harder than everyone else to keep able to continue to contribute. Like to a certain extent, you want that around, someone that has to always work that hard to be a demo to your young skill players, like look how hard this person's working. Don't take your skill for granted. You gotta keep you, you, you gotta keep working at it because you know you know, obviously, you know, someone like Berge is incredibly hardworking and training and so forth, but someone like Thornton has to work that much harder. So that's sort of the guy you want to point to, to a young 19-year-old rookie, say, hey, I know that you, obviously you want to uh, want to ultimately be that guy, point to Berge, but in order to get there, you got to be him. 
Absolutely. If you want to steal this guy's job, you have to work harder than this guy. Exactly. Um, if nothing else, it serves as it, it serves as a as the the rabbit at a at a, at a greyhound track. You, you can't catch never... the rabbit. You don't get to play. Yeah. yeah. You should never take people like Thority for granted. You really never should, because they work their asses off to get to where they are, and they are really you know I they're very blue collar in the re- the respect of uh, NHL call it uh, talent, but damn it, we need people like that. Well, Ultimately, that, less so than leadership per se, is where I think the Bruins really lost out when he and Ference left the team. Oh, not so much that, not, not, not the leadership explicitly, but just that, that, that lunch pail, work hard because you have no goddamn choice aspect. Accountability is important. So, If everybody's you know, you know, roaring their oars at the same time, at the same level, uh, if everybody's putting their work in the gym that they should be, uh, then that's when uh, you start getting that stability in the team. Like, you, you can look at what the stats are. You can look what the spreadsheets say. You can say, you know what, you just need to keep giving this guy more ice time because that's what the numbers say. But sometimes accountability is really important there where sometimes the numbers don't matter. If you're not putting in the same kind of work, then you have a morale impact on the rest of the team. And if the rest of the team doesn't see that you're putting in the, the same kind of work, but you're still getting the same ice time, then why should they put in the same kind of work? It, it, it's just human nature. It's just simple human nature. That's a big theme in <laughs> Goon, actually, right? Yep. Their, their, their star is not putting work in it freaking all, and then their thug is. But the straight the, the spreadsheet says keep putting them on the ice, but that's not what's going to help the team. Side note, can't wait for Goon, too. Yeah, no kidding, eh? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> but the name of the, the, name of the, of the movie, you know, Last of the Enforcers, it, it does get, get into, you know, are, have we really seen the end of the enforcer role in hockey? Uh, it looks that way. You know, with, with Thornton going out, with, you know, Paros not going out, with John Scott going out, really not much in the way of, of uh, a classic enforcer role anymore. You know, maybe that's for the better, but, yeah, that seems to be the way way things are headed. And that's irrespective of what the league is choosing. I think it's simply uh, the direction the league is going because of the demographics of the league, the way the talent level uh, globally of the league is. And you, speaking globally, I mean, you have a, a KHL team in China now. So... How long is it before, you know, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, how long is it before China becomes a, a significant uh, power in hockey? Okay, okay, all right. Bear necessities. Bear necessities. Yes. Ben, go first. All right. Uh, I'm drinking Eagle Rare, the Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, 10-year-old bourbon. Uh, super, super nice. Just bought it today from the New Hampshire State Store. Uh, one on the highway. Very complex. Uh, the one that's near, nearest to Haverhill. I don't even know which town it was. Salem. Uh, probably Salem. Tax-free Salem, Salem yeah. New Hampshire. Anyways, okay. uh, notes of caramel and peanuts and lemon and uh, fried rice. Like it's actually really fun whiskey. Fried rice. Yeah, it's kind of got some kind of meaty and soy saucy. It's kind of cool. Weird. Yeah, we've had Eagle Rare before. I don't remember that aspect of it, but I almost feel like you're slumming, Ben. Like you have all these... A 10-year bourbon is not slumming. Okay. Yeah, but is it slumming for Ben's standards? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Anthony. Thank you for for speaking my language. Sometimes I drink Jaeger. (gasps) Actually, Jaeger really chilled, and when you're doing polkas with, like, um, weird... German Republicans is kind of cool. Jaeger and ginger ale is a good long drink. <gasps> oh, I've never tried that. It's really good. No. Even Tim's no. upset by this. See, the, the <laughs> thing is, is that when you when you tie game. See, the problem is, is that a lot of people think that you need to just take Jaeger and just toss it back, but you can sip Jaeger if it's cold. Yeah, you know what the which best they used thing to, to serve. Uh, hey man, I just want to say they used to serve Jaeger cold at Manray. Back in the day. They, did. they, had, they had the Jaeger machine. Yes, they did. They did. And it was actually kind of nice. I think they put like rumple, whatever it's called. Rumple mints? Rumple mints beside it. But <laughs> I didn't like that. I like the Jaeger cold. And when I'm doing the polka. Anyway. So right, I'm so drinking Eagle, Eagle Rare. Rare bourbon. It's really good. You should all drink Eagle Rare bourbon. So I'm yes. drinking um, uh, Canadian whiskey. So I'm going with rye this week instead of my usual um, uh, shitty scotch. Um, it's, uh, uh, Gibson, Gibson's finest. It's a 12 year rye, which is interesting. You don't see a lot of aged ryes actually. Um, really good. 
I hadn't bought it before. I'd heard recommendations because it's quite inexpensive for an age dry at that too. Um, so I'm pretty happy with it, and uh, that may uh, be a recurring thing going forward for a lo- for a little at least a little while until I get drawn back into the Valentine sphere of influence again. Yeah, I do have good scotches in house, but I don't drink them for hockey because I'll drink too much of them. How about you drink a little bit of them and then a lot of the other stuff? I mean, that's not a bad idea. Good scotch for the first period and then less good stuff for later periods. So like we... good scotch after the game or just before the no, game? No, ends? no, 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 no. Good scotch before you're drinking, before before you're drunk already. Sure. Yeah, yes. you want to enjoy it. You yeah, want to enjoy point. it. You want to enjoy it. Trust me. Trust right, me, right. Trust me. Like, Glenn bought some Glen Roths, which I never drink. But that's so okay. anyway, my good scotches actually have a pretty full supply right now because I was in New Hampshire recently where it's cheaper than Canada. Um, so I have a, I have a bottle of Lagavulin um, and Balmore. I think they're both 12s. And then a, um, a four pack of Mega Nips of the some of the specialty um, uh, Glen Morangis that were part of my uh, Christmas. One of my, one of my Christmas gifts, which one of the one the ancient port casks is very, very good. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. What happened? To the Narragansett co- uh, coffee milk stouts. I drank it all. Oh, it never even left my- I had those 12, yes, and they did not make it out of my parents' house. They didn't ever even make it to my brother's condo. Oh, my God. You should have drank. You should have gotten, like, two more. Yes. That was a very special experience, having the guy having to put them in the different things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I shared some of that with my brothers and my dad on... Uh, I think it was Christmas. Yeah, it was Christmas because it wasn't until Christmas Day when, when my middle brother was at the house. So this is the male dif- female difference, where it's like the male didn't recognize that the things spelled out into the aisle, and they had to be put into special containers. I was there. That okay. thing was better than the rings, yes. And you don't need to cut it up to prevent from killing seals, unlike the rings. Yeah, no, no, I like those better. I don't know why oh, they yeah. don't do that for everything. Because they're just sturdier and they're better and they're not environmentally awful. And you can recycle them so easily. Yes. Okay, so Tim Anthony, who wants to go next? Raise your hand. Anthony! Oh, oh my god. What the hell did I do? It just became Anthony all over my screen. Okay, Anthony. <laughs> so, wow. Podcast after dark. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope you didn't do that all over my screen because that would be um, a violation of something. Okay, Anthony. It's like physics. Space and time <laughs> for sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to I just want to point out that despite being from boring old New Hampshire, <laughs> everyone's, everyone's buying liquor from my state, so New Hampshire, I love you. Our state. Our I state. Have only... New Hampshire voters, thank you. But <laughs> you were born in Rhode Island, you fucker. Also, yes. Also aggressive. <laughs> you have two states, you jerk. Anyway, I call I call New Hampshire my side state. Oh my god! <laughs> I stand alone with Rhode Island, and I've only ever gone to uh, to New Hampshire to buy okay beer, which I'm very allergic to. Okay, go ahead, Anthony. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, I still have that that uh, Jack Daniels that my friend got us for Christmas. I, I was really hoping you were were reaching down to get it. No, I was pulling my sock up. Here's a whiskey I prepared earlier. <laughs> but I do have something to Vanna White because I'm drinking it right now. It is Lion and Google's Barbarian Dunkel. And it is delicious. Mm, I'm very conflicted about that. I don't know why. I it's love really... Dunkels. Dunkels and, are good. And when I've been in Bavaria, I've gotten them. And when I go to Berlin, or when I've been in Berlin, they've asked me, like, what the fuck are you talking about? But whatever. Yes, I approve of Dunkles. Yes, yes, yes. I really, really like dark beers. Dunkles so. are the best because they're like a dark lager, essentially. That's what it is. It's like, if you're not really crazy about lager, try a Dunkle, and it's like, it's a whole new world. And I got fancy glasses for Christmas to put them in. I know I'm drinking them out of the bottle right now, but... No! Drink them out of the fancy glasses! Why? No, always pour Because I just out. grabbed two of them. Doppel glasses. Use doppel glasses. Yes. Do you know what I was drinking out of? I mixed cranberry and vodka in this. Two of them. I'm very drunk. A shaker? Oh, it's a shaker. It is. Just drinking out of the shaker? No, no. I was drinking out of a cup. (laughs) Straight out of the shaker. Oh, my God. No. It goes in the same place. 
Yeah. You know what? You've opened up a new world for me. I should just do that from now on. Yeah. But anyway, all right, Tim, because I always go last. Um, honestly, I'm just going with the velvet, and <laughs> <laughs> I can't quit it. It's it's just the velvet, and um, it's 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 like it's like an old friend. It's just always there. You know, Jack always and I too. looked at it. Briefly, when we were at the the one liquor store where he was getting the coffee milks out, and to I haven't gotten the coffee milks out myself this year, but Jeff did. I still got a lot of beer. Yeah, but little Miss Rhode Island over there loves her Narragansett. I know. (laughs) I know. How much do you really love Rhode Island if you haven't even gotten the coffee milks out? Yeah. God, you know, this whole, my whole Rhode Island experience has been like just ripped asunder. I mean, I can't eat quahogs because I'm allergic to them. And um, I did drink the uh, the Del Shandy over the summer, you know, but I haven't gotten the coffee milk stout yet because I still have some other beer in my fridge. And I've been really sick for six weeks. I just Insane. got my voice back on Tuesday. I have all the range now. Keep shouting like that. What? Keep shouting like that, and you won't. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to do re me, you fucker? I'll do it. Yes. Okay. No. Do I'm it. Just, just do it. <laughs> do um, it. Peer no, pressure. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Really, honestly. But anyway, no. Um. So we did. We did. Did we do Ben? Ben was Eagle Rare, and Jeff was. You're the one that's left. I'm the one who's left. Guess what, guys? I'm changing the game. Uh-oh. Oh. You know what my my uh, bare necessity is this week? I'm going to show you. My bare necessity is not alcohol for a change. It is. And keep in mind, I'm still going to be rooting for the Bruins when I do this. It's a weird t-shirt. I don't know why I'm wearing it. But my bare necessity this week... Is a certain player for another team. Yossi! Oh, yeah. It's Roman Yossi. I don't care if the, the Predators win. I don't actually want them to win. But man, oh, man, I want to see Roman Yossi. By the way, this t-shirt that I got on beyond the Roman Yossi thing, you know, this was a lot sexier when I wasn't drunk. This is Mission Control. We've lost VA. <laughs> this t-shirt I'm wearing right now is an Achari one, but oh, no one deserves it because Achari's down to Providence now. Well, we're not the ones that set him down. <laughs> it's true. It's a and weird the- t-shirt. It's a really weird t-shirt. It's one of those Yeah, cute- why is it the vertical name in the pack? Exactly! Why what is, is it that? that way? I don't know, but my husband got that for me because he knows that I like to wear v-neck black t- long sleeve t-shirts. And it was very <laughs> weird. I also have a Carlo t-shirt, which is equally as odd. Not not Speaking named of- on the back. Speaking of jerseys, um... This is kind of funny. So the first game I happened to be wearing um, the, the, the <laughs> Dougie jersey you offloaded on me instead of Bernie. Thank you. <laughs> we we happened to win four zero, so uh, there's that. <laughs> we, oh, so that was yesterday? Yeah. Oh. Looks like you must wear that jersey, that jersey all the time. Yeah, well, you know what? I like I rolled it up and I gave it to him and I said, take it before I burn it. Those were the <laughs> words that I said. It's true. I just it was either the jersey or the fact that I got hammered on Crown and Coke. You got hammered on Crown and Coke? I was just shit-faced yesterday. Oh! Oh, okay. What was I doing yeah, yesterday? Yeah, like, he put a crown on, and then he put Coke on top. Yeah. I yeah, actually, so- my first drink was Crown and Crystal Pepsi, which was weird. Oh my god! How old were you? <laughs> <laughs> Crystal is Pepsi is back! <laughs> So, yep, I'm wearing the the Predators jersey. It's the I have shooty jersey. hoops. Shooty hoop. I just flashed you as much as I'm going to flash you. So, anyway, Bear Necessities. Roman Yossi. That's my, my Bear Necessity this week. I don't even want the Predators to win. I just want to think about Roman Yossi. And yeah, the odds aren't good for them because PK's out, right? No, PK, you know what? PK, the, the game that I saw, all he did was score two power play goals. And that's it. All he did, yes, was score two, was score two goals in a goal scar in a goal league. 
NBD. Well, the Lightning only scored one goal. It's because the Lightning are bad this year. He just won the game for them. The Lightning were missing some people. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Their series is over. The Bruins have to play the Predators twice. I'm rooting for the Bruins, even though... uh, uh. But Roman Yossi, I don't mind seeing him for whatever reason. And I just got my tickets this week for the Predators-Bruins game. You know what? Tuesday's game, though, is uh, Bacchus hosting his old team. So uh, that should be interesting. I love Bacchus. I guess. I don't know. I have no opinion about the Blues whatsoever. As a charter member of the David Bacchus um, fan club with Tim. Tim and I are the charter members of this team. uh, This this uh, this fan club. I really want him to do some damage against his old team. But I don't know. I don't know. But... No, I mean, I want him to do some damage against his home team. Oh, by the way, he scored again tonight. So that's uh, game goals in consecutive games for him. I don't... It's 722. Do we have closing statements? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben, always keeping us on topic. Jesus. Why don't we invite him on when we can't have any fun? All right. Because Ben um, is fun. Um, so basically, I just want to do some shout-outs to some Twitter people. Uh, we heard a lot from Jean Catherine about making happy names and about the Bruinley Wed game, which she loved. Nobody else seemed to love it, but she loved it. I thought it was funny. Also, and she's in the Backus fan club. She is in the, uh, the David Backus fan club. It's true. Because his charity work is fantastic. Right, Tim? It is. It actually um, is fantastic. Literally, yes. It is. Um, and we had Mark McRae, who wanted to talk to us about the Kadobin on waivers. Basically, he had uh, predicted that Kadobin would go on waivers. I think we, I kind of missed that or something. And then I just told him that he was pretty prescient about that. And then when, when he did go on, on waivers uh, until they called up Mac, uh, McIntyre for a couple of days, it was kind of weird, but... He's down in Providence now, right now, so uh, he did shut out tonight. Hey, yeah, he did. Yep, three nothing cool. win for Providence with Hudobin and Net. Yep. God damn it! I got to make it down to Providence at some point, huh? Yeah, um, quick take on Hudobin. Like numbers just weren't good enough uh, for the Bruins. Uh, like the guy, I wish he performed better, but it seems like sending him down and bringing up McIntyre was the right call. Yeah, uh, and hopefully, hopefully Dauber uh, gets gets his game back. Yeah, I think they kept him up as long as they did, ultimately, just to make sure he met the requirements for having an experience for games played in the last two seasons for a goaltender that gets exposed. Oh, all right. Wow. And he does now. So now he does. Um, so now the Bruins don't need him in Boston because um, while, uh, yeah, because I guess while Malcolm is exposed, it isn't uh, automatically protected, which uh, Zane is, incidentally. We still have to expose a goalie with whatever the requirement is, 70 over the last two seasons or 40 this season or something like that, appearances, or something to that effect. So um, basically uh, the only other goalie we had that was eligible in that respect was Tuca, and that's a non-starter. Right, he, he can't anyway. Well, he could if they if like he agreed to waive his no-movement clause. But he no, would have to. Yeah, they wouldn't do that. That's, that's silly. Why are, Why are these complex so... Contracts so hard to understand. Honestly, okay, I don't understand. Because they're made up by lawyers. Yeah, Yeah, I don't ever want to be a lawyer, so I guess that's my problem. All right, so okay, so I think we've gone through all the stuff. So Tim can just take us out. Word.